Welcome to Fandom Media. Yes, and thank you, announcer Jason. It is time for episode two of season three of Better Call Saul, Fandom Media episode 27. Welcome back. This was a particularly strong episode, I think. A lot of common elements that Better Call Saul has used throughout its entire run that really reached a new level of usage and excellence altogether here. One of those things in particular that Better Call Saul does a little differently is pacing. They have a really particular pacing and it stands out because they really take their time. A lot of these scenes are based around really relaxed time frames where they're not rushing, they're not trying to show you a lot at once. Now we Fandom Media, the group of us, we have another show a lot of you are familiar with called History of Westeros, where we cover the show Game of Thrones and the books A Song of Ice and Fire that they're based on. And Game of Thrones is the opposite of that. Now, even if you've never seen it, you understand the concept of a show that just is really just constantly hitting you with plots and characters and details and constantly this and that. Better Call Saul is the exact opposite of that, and I really appreciate that dichotomy. I agree. I think it's a neat comparison and contrast to make between the two shows. Both of them are rich with detail. There's a lot of subtlety going on. And where Better Call Saul will take its time, which I appreciate on a lot of levels, especially when they're doing something that is valuable and important and skilled, but not flashy or exciting. You know, surveillance type work is pretty boring. But it still takes a lot of skill and patience. But it's not an exciting thing to watch or do. And a lot of times in a show, they kind of skip over it and add action to it. It just isn't realistic. But they're really showing us what it's like in Better Call Saul here. And while doing that, we get to contemplate the nature of these characters and the dilemmas they're going through. And details are showing us the colors that they're wearing and the angles that they're at and everything that's going on. Whereas Game of Thrones is very dialogue-based and has a lot of action scenes and it's a little bit more dense as far as plot progression. But the thing that happens, a difference in the two of them, is that when an action scene does come in Better Call Saul, it's particularly intense because it's been so meticulous leading up to it and so subtle and nuanced leading up to it when there's suddenly this clash and it's yelling, you're really on the edge of your seat. Game of Thrones, on the other hand, rarely has a subtle scene or a quiet scene or a scene that lets you soak in what's happening. And when it does happen, it really stands out. Fandomedia.reviews. If you're enjoying our coverage of Better Call Saul or any of the other shows we're covering, give us a rating on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use. It really helps get the show noticed. And hey, we appreciate it. Suggest other shows for us to cover. Go to our website at fandomedia.reviews. Meta elements. So the title of this episode is Witness, and it has a pretty clear, overt meaning. That is, Chuck has his witness that he's hired, and Howard is a witness as well. But also I'd argue that Gus is a witness to Jimmy and Mike's surveillance scheme. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree, I thought of that also. There are a few funny references in this episode. Nothing too sneaky about The Price is Right from Jimmy saying, you're next on The Price. He actually says, The Price is Right. So, yeah. Come on down. Yeah, it's a good the way. I liked how Jimmy is is constantly full of energy uh, when dealing with his client. It's part of his uh, persona. I like that he knows his customers' interests. He knows they like Price is Right. He knows they like Cracker Barrel, which is another (laughs) thing that they reference here. And it is true. Old people love Cracker Barrel. Not Mike, though. (laughs) Not Mike. (laughs) Another little reference Jimmy got in there was when they were interviewing Francesca. And, of course, there's a lot to the interview, but, you know, basically he's ready to go. And Kim's hesitant, and he's like, you have me at elderly people. (laughs) You don't have to sell yourself anymore. Which is referencing Jerry Maguire. When Renee Zellweger tells Tom Cruise, you have me at hello. (laughs) Narrative. 
There's a quick scene with Chuck at the beginning, but most of the early action is devoted to Mike before we get back to Chuck and Jimmy and all that plot line. We get long, quiet stretches of Mike's observing, you know, he's, as he's tracking down the people that have bugged him, which of course we eventually see is Gus Fring, which Mike hasn't figured out exactly yet, but he does figure out the location. And we see a lot of subtle things in these scenes. In particular, I noticed that there's a couple of times where we see how tired he is, yet he's determined, he's obviously, his life is riding on this potentially, it's a really important thing, but he's exhausted. Mike being tired becomes a story element in itself, because potentially it leads him into getting a little sloppy. I don't know that it was a good idea for him to bring Jimmy into this. I don't think it was at all, and I think Jimmy himself was sloppier than he maybe should have been because he was overexcited and he wanted to do right by Mike and watch every single thing that this man did. Maybe if they weren't up against such a formidable opponent, which it's hard for them to know what Gus is going to turn out to be as a character. Yeah, it Jimmy knows even out. less than, than Mike does at this point. Right. But it did seem like Mike was being careful, like get someone else to go in there and look around. Jimmy seemed like he was being careful. He didn't clearly seem like the guy noticed him watching, but clearly someone noticed him watching. He definitely drew attention to himself by how intently he was staring, which got him a lot of details to give to Mike, but also got Gus on the trail. Yeah, yeah I also think that Mike was careless after the fact when they met within sight of Los Poyos Hermanos with Jimmy's very flashy car, Yeah, and Gus sees this. Yeah, Flashy, by the way. <laughs> uh, flashy bad. <laughs> so this ends up returning the tables. Mike had turned the tables on Gus by tracking him back through his own tracking devices, but now using Jimmy and getting caught... He's basically allowed Gus to one-up him again, and now Gus is clearly taking the long view. I'd say that, given what we know, that Gus is going to employ Mike, it's pretty clear that Gus is impressed. He's like, wow, this guy tracked me down. I'm not going to eliminate this threat. I'm going to try to bring this talent into my organization. Gus was a little dismayed with Jimmy himself, though, I think. There was one little subtle scene where Jimmy drops his plastic basket into the trash on accident, <laughs> and that leads into him just digging into the trash and dropping his watch and everything. He leaves, and there's just a beat where they linger on Gus, and he sees the basket, and he takes it out, and he just looks unhappy with this. It is it is neat how Gus is sort of true to his character all around. He's still the manager of this business, and he has the same meticulousness of maintaining that as he does the the drug trade or whatever I, I like that scene too because i earlier i said that jimmy did one really clever thing during this whole scene he kind of stuck out like he was attentive he he really did pay close attention but he was also really kind of obvious and i think sean you said you know before as we were preparing you you were guessing that gus was seeing him on camera and that's what brought him out any i think that's probably true but in any case when he's confronted at the last second he thinks on his feet really well and that was a really smooth move there yeah, it was. Yeah, knocking his watch into the trash gave him an excuse to be in the trash. And Jimmy is a fast talker. He's run scans before. He's not totally out of water. You know, we saw him go back to Mike like, hey, man, what next? Are we going to tell this guy? You know, he's excited <laughs> to be part of some adventure. Yeah, and to be friends with Mike, I think, in general. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mike is just not a friendly guy. And, you know, you kind of, if Mike is shows any kind of respect or use for you, it's a, it's kind of a compliment. <laughs> Someone else who I don't think of as a very friendly character is a character we saw in this episode, Victor. 
who is from Breaking Bad. This is the third Breaking Bad character that we've been introduced to this season. The other one is, of course, Gus and Francesca, who we'll get to later. But I want to take a moment to talk about who our picks would be to have in the show, who we think might be in the show. And I think one of the obvious ones that you could see in a lot of situations is Hank or Gomez. That they're involved in the crime scene, that they could be involved in something. Yeah, they're local higher-ups in the police, and they would have been so, you know, in the time before Breaking Bad as well. They didn't just get their start as rookies on the force then. Yeah, they had been around a while. It does make sense that they're going to cross paths with someone. Another one that we almost got last season was Marie was almost the x-ray nurse in, you know, season two. But they decided not to go with that. They thought it was too distracting for the episode. But maybe we will still get her in the future? I don't know. They couldn't find an all-purple (laughs) x-ray. One character I wish we could see, but I really just don't think it'll work, is Jesse Pinkman. He's just much older now, and he would be younger, even younger at this point. And he's such a big star, too. That's got to be a... That can't be... That can't help his odds of... Can't be cheap to get him on there, and it's going to be hard to cast him at the right age. But we could potentially see one of Jesse's friends. They're hoodlums who have had run-ins with the law, and who are familiar with... Saul Goodman. Badger could just run on past. We could just... <laughs> <laughs> see Hank dragging him off in cuffs or something. <laughs> but for now, we got Victor, who I definitely was never a fan of in Breaking Bad. I don't think many people are, were a big fan of him. He's very menacing. Yeah, he's an enforcer. He's supposed to be violent. Like, yeah, it's hard to like characters like that. Occasionally, a character like that, you get to see, like, why they became that way, and there's some sympathy, but Victor isn't doesn't have that kind we of We don't depth. get that from yeah. him, no, yeah. It's funny because Victor, it looks like he's being uncautious, and that's kind of part of his nature. We see, ultimately, that's what gets him killed by Gus is for going too far, and it's, it, sort, it sort of fits in his character. He's kind of loud, he drives in, he's squealing his tires, but in retrospect... This is sort of on purpose, potentially, because they're trying to get Mike to follow him. Yeah, it could have been set up. It could have been instructions, right. like speed in, park awkwardly, pull out quick, just give him a attention. chance to catch you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, But it might really just be how Victor is. Like, <laughs> Mike is also attentive enough that he would have just followed him anyway. <laughs> this, of course, culminates in Mike being led to the GPS tracker and a cell phone in the middle of the road. And a wonderful reaction when he answers the phone, just, yeah. yeah. i think it's interesting that it would have been easy for gus to kill him here but it does make sense both for a mastermind criminal like gus and where we know the plot is going that he's going to try to use him he knows this guy has got some value but also by the way how'd you find me i got to be careful i can't let this happen again you know it's it's uh he's going to want information from mike in addition to maybe wanting to use him or employ him. He's probably also intrigued at the whole idea. Is why does he also want to kill Hector Salamanca like I do? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a, true too. He's yeah. definitely going to be curious about that. I, I wonder if he knows or how much he knows about his relationship with Nacho. wonder what, point, how yeah. much of a factor that is. Can't wait to find out. Yeah. For quite a lot of the show's run, in general, there's been these two distinct Mike and Jimmy plot lines that cross over occasionally. And we're starting to see here them cross over again in very meaningful ways. But they're also still very distinct. So let's go ahead and talk about Jimmy and Chuck and Kim and everybody else. Yeah, and the new member of the cast, Francesca Liddy, who we, of course, know from Breaking Bad, as he still is working with her, whether they've had a break in that time or not. But she has a great line here. It's probably my favorite line of the episode. I think you're a little crooked. <laughs> when he's trying to line up the letters on exactly. the wall. Exactly, and, yeah. and it's the M that's crooked, too. The M in the Wexler McGill symbol. Yeah, the scene where he's training her is very amusing, the way he's teaching her to be 
campy in his particular way. Folksy. Yeah, folksy, exactly. Uh, talking about Cracker Barrel and always calling him Jimmy and <laughs> things like that. Really well done. He understands his clientele in the same way that the law firm he was working at before. They understood their clientele, and they didn't want the cheesy commercial on. Even if it got some money, that's you know they have this better understanding of their company as a whole. Jimmy has an understanding of his clientele at the moment, and he's appealing to them properly. He's got to get Francesca on board. Yeah, it's what he's good at. He's playing to his own strengths. It may be cheesy, it may be that, but it's what he's good at. I really liked the scene with them hiring Francesca, where you have this discussion about the DMV versus the MVD, (laughs) and Tim and Jimmy's reaction to this. Jimmy just brushes it aside, like, I will never use MVD. (laughs) Kim says DMV on accident and then quickly corrects herself to MVD and bristles and looks at Jimmy, you know, scans for caring about this. I thought that whole scene was great, too. I really liked... And Kim even says it in the midst of it. She's like, look, Jimmy and I have very different needs. And you can see it based on the questions that they're asking. You know, Saul just wants someone to answer the phones and help him with the phone calls to process his customers. Whereas Kim wants someone who's professional, who's experienced, who knows the law, all this other stuff. And so Jimmy's like looking at his watch. He wants to hire this woman in 10 minutes. And Kim wants to hire, wants to interview 20 more people, you know. As we find out, Jimmy does have an imminent need. He has the phones ringing off the hook. He needs someone there to answer it. Yeah, it's... uh... It's a kind of a dichotomy of Jimmy's rushing and fidgeting, which Kim keeps taking note of, and, like, she gives him glances, but it's very patient. So she's exasperated, but she's not showing it. She's keeping it cool, but she keeps shooting him looks. Yeah. And he's just ignoring that, basically. Yeah. (laughs) He's just thinking about his own needs. I felt like when Francesca said there was too much red tape in the DMV work that (laughs) that must have set off warning bells in Kim's head a little bit. It's also probably set off, what's the opposite of warning bells? (laughs) Christmas chimes? I don't know. (laughs) Jimmy must have been like, yes, she's the one. (laughs) She doesn't like red tape. She's with me. This procedural slash moral difference between Jimmy and Kim really comes out in the scene where Kim is revealing to Jimmy what Ernesto has just told her, where she goes through the motions of him giving her money just to make her officially his lawyer. A la Jimmy or Saul in Breaking Bad, of course. Right. Yeah, it's something that easily just after the fact, he could have said, here, let me just give you some money so technically you're without it off. They, they could have handled it a million ways, but yeah. she's, by the book first, let's cover this base. Okay, now let's get on with the stuff, you know, yeah. And then after the fact, she is working hard on Jimmy's case. She's making calls and talking through their game plan with him and everything like that. She even is wearing a black shirt and red skirt to be in line with the color code of the show. (laughs) That's interesting, too. And their reactions in general are really something to take note of. Some people might expect that Kim would be the one who's really upset because Jimmy blabbed about this huge secret. And Kim is the one who could potentially lose her one huge client over this. Yet she is the one protecting Jimmy's feelings in this because Jimmy feels betrayed. And that is the more important emotion at the moment there. So she starts to assuage his feelings like, well, you know, this isn't going to hurt me, I don't think. You know, his taping probably won't matter in court. But Jimmy's not concerned about that. He's deflated because of the betrayal and angry. Yeah, eventually it simmers and he, yeah, Piecing together how deceitful his brother had to be with him to get that recording. Yeah, a personal, emotional thing for him. Kim is, like, thinking professionally... 
here's the movies we have. Let me check on the laws. Maybe it won't work for this reason. We'll get through this. We'll get through this. I was surprised at that. I thought she was going to be mad and angry at him, kick him out of the office, have to do something different, maybe go to Mesa Verde and tell them right now. But instead, she seemed to be calm and cool and progressing with the plan as it's been. But Jimmy seems to be out of it. You yeah. know? She knew. I mean, she knew yeah. that, what he was failing. And I think that's why she didn't get so mad. In the last episode, we were speculating a lot about what Chuck expected Ernesto to do. And as it turned out, it took him a while to put his plan into action. I guess eight days, as Chuck said. And almost, you know, the right amount of days. If it had just been one more day, the (laughs) investigator would have been gone during the day. So there's that. But I just wanted to talk about Ernesto's plan here, which was just ridiculous. I didn't want to call you, so I drove here and called you. I don't want to be seen connected to you, so I'm in your parking lot at your place of business. <laughs> yeah. It's just ridiculous. I... You just walked out in the parking lot to get into my car. <laughs> my flashy blue car. Yeah, my really flashy blue car with the spoiler. <laughs> it probably is part of why Chuck put the plan together like yeah. that. He probably has some little insight into Ernesto in the first place he bumbles a little bit you know yeah definitely i was surprised that that is what ernesto did i wasn't i don't think any of us brought up the idea that ernesto would go to kim about it so it certainly seems like it should have been a possibility that we entertained we just didn't well i guess you know we can at least say about mike that maybe using jimmy was a mistake but at least he didn't use ernesto (laughs) (laughs) so there are a couple different tapes to be talking about here one's the (laughs) recording that Chuck got of Jimmy, but the other is the tape that Jimmy put on the wall so he can repaint over the rainbow. And just immediately I'm thinking about this blue line cutting through the yellow on the wall and eventually he paints the other half the pale blue and the yellow but it still seems like this clear division you know Mm -hmm. and it's also by the way i think he references it being the morning over the sandias mountains or whatever but i immediately saw wexler mcgill that's a w and an m which is the exact design that he came up with right and i saw the stock market crash thing that you mentioned (laughs) like at least it doesn't look like it i was like ah actually that's what it looked like to me (laughs) one way or the other I thought it was such a great moment when I already kind of have in my mind that this is sort of symbolic, right, of this division between the gray area and the legal that, you know, him and Kim are skirting, that he first is slowly peeling it off. Which is also maybe a little lesson that he learned. Exactly like how Chuck Chuck showed him. Exactly, you know. But then Right at the end, he's just becoming overwhelmed with frustration and just tears it off, just rips it off all at once. And I thought that was just a, a perfect moment to show us about how this this line, keeping him on the legal side of things, is about to be torn off. And sure enough, it was. Something interesting about Chuck's plan here is it works, in a sense. It really does work in a lot of ways. But the way they film it and the way they wrote it, I thought was really excellently done because it culminates with Chuck saying... I know my brother. And that's right when Jimmy starts bashing on the door. So what that shows is that, yes, Chuck figured out that Jimmy would want to eliminate the tape, but he completely didn't get how Jimmy would react to it emotionally. He, he, yeah. he understood what his brother would do, like what action he would take, but he misperceived how it, it would impact him as a person, you know, as a human being. He also didn't understand that Jimmy wouldn't come under guise of night and sneak in like that because he thinks of Jimmy as this underhanded, sneaky man, whereas Jimmy is honest a lot of the time and brash and all of these things. He isn't necessarily 
like this master of espionage who's going to break into your house at night. Although he did do that. He, he would do that, but he would do other things too. And I think maybe to Aziz's point, Chuck might have properly analyzed Jimmy doing a sneaky thing, but didn't properly analyze him doing an emotional thing. And so the emotional thing is overcoming the smart thing at this moment. And this is actually pointed out directly in Chuck's face during the scene. As Jimmy says, no wonder Rebecca left you. Yeah. That's basically it. It's the same thing. He was Count. probably not a good husband in terms of meeting her emotional needs. He probably was a great husband in terms of running a household or something like that, providing. Like, she was obviously capable. She was a, a very competent woman. She didn't need him for money at all. But that's something he was very strong. That's like an attractive quality he had. But he just apparently wasn't any good at being a good husband in terms of emotional stuff. And That's some Jimmy propaganda right there. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that little moment too. Is uh, something that we don't have a lot of details on is Chuck's relationship with Rebecca. But it c- came out there in a little a jab that Jimmy was making at Chuck. And Chuck had a little shift in his facial expression in that moment too. He he got him. It worked. It hurt. You know, it was a it was a really tough moment. A really well done scene in a million ways, but not the least of which being their performances. Before this even culminates in this scene, there's an even more intriguing scene to me, which was Howard Hamlin running and hiding his arrival at Chuck's. And they did this in a great way. I mean, one, it was really funny. And to see him out of sorts and being athletic and a suit and all of these things. But it gave you this time to contemplate where he was going, why he was hiding, all of these things. And as it turns out, it was Chuck telling him to hide his arrival and in retrospect it shows the lengths that Howard is willing to go through. It was completely baffling for a minute there and then it was like oh of course. It was one of those things that was like oh yeah that's gotta be what it is but at the time you're like what on earth is Howard I thought it was here? a dream sequence or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's just so like by the straight and narrow you yeah. know it's like oh my god what is happening? It's weird to see him sneaking around anywhere. I feel like he wears his suit in the shower like at home he puts his suit on to watch TV and like, goes to bed wearing a suit and like he just seems such the epitome of professionalism to see him running around in backyards was so unusual <laughs> the quote-unquote success of chuck's tragic plan here is ultimately going to lead to legal issues for jimmy and you can see the story elements present that were showing jimmy's transition into saul you have not only getting in trouble with the law which makes him what Jesse later calls a criminal lawyer, not a criminal lawyer, right? And here we have no, also... No, it's a criminal lawyer. <laughs> you mean a criminal lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> and we also see how excited he is to work with Mike, as you pointed out earlier. It's like, he's this is where he's at. He's more interested in that kind of thing. And it's so neat because it's such a dichotomy to what he's actually doing, which is he's doing wills for elderly people. It's like the, one of the most driest legal professions there is. You have to be so sickly sweet. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's just such a changeover. You can kind of see why he's like interested in something that's more exciting. Mike's a much more exciting old person to work with. <laughs> <laughs> visual elements. What with how silent that entire mic sequence was, it really was a visual element unto itself right there. I mean, you got some great shots too, though, like from him looking through the binoculars to that dead end sign, mm-hmm. which... Yeah, he does have a dead end. <laughs> I like that moment. It's a good little bit of cinematography as his car is cresting the hill. You know, when he's slowly creeping up and he's trying to see what's on the other side. And we see from the other side him come across. We see the top of the car and then the top of his head peek up. That was really good. That was a really well put together scene. Meanwhile, back at Los Poyos, there was a lot of different shots that were interesting. You pointed out 
that I mentioned earlier that we may have been seeing an angle from the corner of the room, upper corner of the room, that may have been like a quick clue that, hey, this is Gus seeing all this action on camera from the back of the store. Like a surveillance camera in the store. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was the angle of what a surveillance camera would be. Yeah, yeah exactly. Most of the other shots in that scene were, were level. They were, you know, like eye level, the different characters and imagers in a store. But that one was kind of high from above in a corner. They had a really clever you know, way to build up Gus's entrance into the show because you there's this figure in yellow very distantly over Jimmy's shoulder as he's staring at the backpack. And as the three of us were watching it, you may have already noticed, but I just yelled out. I blurted it out. I was like, is that Gus behind them? <laughs> and and sure enough, that's Gus. And he just comes right up like his belt buckle is like visible over Jimmy's shoulder at one point. And it just builds up really gradually. It's great. It kind of mirrored the earlier shot when it kind of slow roll what building Mike has come to. Because with the color clues this show gives you, you know this is like bad guy's headquarters. Because here's this building with red trim around the windows, a red car is parked out front, like all the warning signs for this being a, a bad guy haven are there. But we still don't realize quite where he is. And then the camera pans out and backs up and you see the sign, you know, and like, oh, this is it. Here it is, you know. Like we talked about in the last episode, we love looking at the color theory of Better Call Saul and looking at the clothes and cars and buildings that populate the show. From the very opening scene, you see Chuck in his house and is just shrouded in this blue light, the lawful color, uh, so to speak. And then right afterwards, you see the yellow light for the people that Mike is trailing and for all of just Mike's trailing scenes in general. And like Sean touched on, you see the red trim of Los Poyos, but it's also a lot of blue in it and it's definitely more blue than red they're trying to cover up this crime that they're committing here the guise of lawfulness that's what like we were talking earlier gus has this air of professionalism and harmlessness about him and but then, he's wearing that yellow shirt yeah, and all of yeah. his employees are they're yeah, yeah. somewhat complicit and they're not serving blue food <laughs> but Sean noticed that most of the customers are in blue, cool tones. Yeah, like or they're... neutral. Yeah, the customers in there aren't bad guys. But the employees, whether they know it or not, you know, they're involved in this bad guy activity. And Jimmy's wearing his red tie. Yep, Jimmy wears the red tie to go in there. It is interesting. Mike gets a new car, right? He needs a new car to go on missions with, right? Not his regular car that he's going to have at home. And so the new car he buys is blue, which is, even though we see yellow lights surrounding him and he's mixed up in these clandestine activities he's still relatively the good guy compared to the bad guys that he's chasing so he's in a blue car the bad guys that he's soon going to join (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) last time we saw ernesto he was in this blue and salmon colored checkered shirt it seemed like he might be more on jimmy's side when we see him again he's in green and blue and he's decided to talk about this he's still concerned about him but he's actually not in jimmy's best interests here yeah audio elements one of the great things about the slow pacing is not only do you get more time to think about what's happening to put yourself in the character's place and to think about what you're seeing you also get more chance to notice other elements like the music. And in Mike's long surveillance scene, there's this very drawn out, very desert style guitar that's the notes are really spaced out, really reverbed. 
It's, it's a little bit like a slowed down surf guitar. And there's a very faint percussion going on. And as that shot of Los Palos Hermanos slowly comes into view, the drums become a lot heavier and climax. It's great. It's a double culmination of the visual and the music to show you just how serious this is and how exciting it is because the music itself is definitely on the darker side, but it's not dark. It's just on the, you know, kind of empty, hollow, like exciting and dangerous side. You also have Mike's narration when we cut to Los Pollos Hermanos. First, you cut to just soft car pulling up through the window a nice visual shot but Mike is telling him what he's going to do in this situation and as he's telling him you're panning around the room of Los Poyos Hermanos and I thought that was a really great section I agree I can't think of another time when they did that where one person is describing what someone should do and then they cut to the person doing a thing while the description is still yeah, happening it's kind of a cliche thing almost that TV shows do they do it maybe too much but I do think that Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad never if ever do that so it definitely stood out. They gave us a little trick there with the phone call that we thought Francesca was getting a flood of calls of, from Jimmy's recent commercial, but one of them turns out to be Mr. Ermin Trout, like the like fish. The fish? Yeah. <laughs> Which this makes guy... you know, everybody all of a sudden you're like, oh, <laughs> hello. This guy really doesn't want to talk about Cracker Barrel. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I understand why he doesn't want to talk about Cracker Barrel. There's another little sound effect that I appreciated that the first time I watched the episode and uh, the opening scene with Chuck, there was like this hissing sound in the background that at first I didn't even know there's something wrong with our TV or the faucet <laughs> on. It just I didn't occur to me what it was, but then I noticed as they turned the lamp down, the hissing went down. I was like, oh, that's neat. Final thoughts. A lot of great moments in this episode to choose from. I tend to like the funnier moments. And so I really did like Howard sneaking, but also for the reasons that I mentioned earlier in that it gave you a lot of time to contemplate and it really threw all of us for a loop there. And I liked Jimmy training Francesca because of that Mike scene in particular. It was really (laughs) funny. (laughs) Definitely. What about you, Aziz? Well, I liked the unexpected physical comedy. As we talked about at the beginning of the episode, the pacing allows things like action moments to really stand out because they're unexpected and they're such a big change from the slow pace. The same is true with this jokes that come out of nowhere, and these weren't joke jokes, they were physical comedy. The two I'm referring to are Jimmy leaning on the soda machine and and (laughs) spurting some soda out. That was really funny and out of nowhere. And equally funny to me was Howard sneaking through the backyard, hitting the wind chimes, which is just a really classic sneaking around trope, hitting the wind chimes. It's one of the most, (laughs) it's like one of the loudest thing you can bump into. Uh, And uh, even though it's been used so many times, that's, that's why it's so funny. Yeah. What about you, Sean? Man, I cannot just pick one moment from this episode. I'm pretty sure this is my favorite episode of All A Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. I, that is high praise. Is it is. Really I really praise. thought this uh, this episode was so good. Like we've mentioned several times, I really like how they just use pacing. I think that they really got these high moments and these funny moments and these tense moments out of controlling how quick and slow they were going from scene to scene. Yeah, that scene with Jimmy, for instance, when he goes to Los Pollos Hermanos is one of the tensest scenes I've seen. I was just yeah. on the edge of my seat, so stressed out about this. Yeah, I kept waiting for Gus to put his hand on his shoulder or for the guy to make eye contact with him and run out or I didn't know what might happen there. And uh, the scene when Jimmy shows up 
at Chuck's house and just kicks in the door yelling and we know that Howard's right around the corner there it was just gave me such a sinking feeling as Jimmy's just burying himself it was such a roller coaster of emotions some of it was like these big moments and powerful moments but some were really subtle little things I really liked after the conversation that Jimmy and Kim had and she's kind of reassuring him we're gonna figure this out and he's like well I've got people out there and he just has to put his game face on and go back to his day even with this looming over him I really liked that moment and the quickness another moment we talked about but when he tears that tape off I think there was so much was put into that moment and so much was revealed from it I just think that this is beautifully put together it's like it's like if someone wanted to paint a picture and they were really great artists and someone said instead let's build a skyscraper you know what I mean like I think they're just putting so much more into this than most shows get and and I love every little bit of it fandomedia.reviews and that's our show for today thanks for joining us until next time I'm Fan Carlo Esposito I'm Jesse Pinkfan and I'm Francesca Liddy 